Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining me from Thursday morning on the West Coast out in Seattle is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Kevin, it's good to talk to you again after a few uh, weeks away. Yeah, it's been a minute, so good to be back. Yes, it's been a, a summer for me that's been uh, a lot of travel. So um, thank you for uh, your patience as we got going back. And special guest with you today, Pelton. First time on the Hoop Collective. Uh, joining us from Dallas, Texas. No, it ain't the other Texan. It's <laughs> one of our college basketball analysts here at ESPN. Also a former college basketball player at Baylor University. King McClure. King, welcome to the Hoop Collective. Man, it's an honor, man. Honor and privilege to be on with you two guys. King was with Pelton and I on the Hoop Collective draft show on draft night. We had so much fun doing that show, and I swore that I would get King into the rotation here at the Hoop Collective. So we hope that you are able to join us uh, during this season, King, because um, I really appreciate your perspective, um, especially on these guys who we don't know as much about, who you know a lot more about entering the league. Uh, for sure, man. Like when you told me, you know, I would uh, maybe get on here, I, I was excited. You know, I was excited to be able to talk hoops with you. All the times I watch you on, on my TV screen, you know, this is all right. Uh, flattery will get honored. you nowhere here. Flattery will get you nowhere. <laughs> hey, I, I don't um, even want the flattery. I'm just saying it was just factual. I think we've learned uh, from the Tims that clearly flattery is not the way to go. <laughs> that's correct. They certainly don't. They don't. That's not how we roll. Uh, okay, so uh, we got training camp coming up here, and I thought to have the two of you guys on to talk about the rookies that we're about to see get deployed into the league. You guys follow and know so much about these guys when they're coming out of college, way more than I do. And so that's why I wanted to uh, go to your expertise. Um, there's a couple of guys specifically in this draft that you guys are very keyed in on. But before we get to that, I think we have to start at the top. Obviously, we have Victor Wembanyama about to have his first training camp. A lot of excitement around this. I know that so much of the focus of this offseason has been on who may get traded, who may get traded now, who may get traded in the future. But we've got real basketball coming, and that means Wembanyama starting. And so I will just say, my I have tried within ESPN, and it has largely failed, <laughs> to calm expectations down for Victor Wembanyama. I typically do not take part in the pre-draft analysis of players, which is one of the reasons why I'm usually behind on rookies. I lean on you type of guys. With Victor, obviously, I spent a lot of time with him. I studied him a lot, spent time with him, spent time with his coaches, spent time with his family. I, I, I know him as well as I've ever known a prospect coming into the NBA since LeBron. And I am just saying to everybody, keep your expectations at a reasonable level. Even though he is not 17 years old, he is not coming straight out of high school like we saw some young uh, guys, I do believe it's going to take him some time. And I think we saw that King in summer league. I know he only played two games. He had one game where he was you know, a little underwhelming, one game where he played very well. I expect it to kind of be that way. But what are you expecting from Victor as we get into the early part of this season? Yeah, you know, I, I think we did this guy a, a major disservice, you know, simply by what you just stated. I think that we have set the bar so high. I mean, the comparisons that we have made for him, talking about he could be potentially the greatest basketball player ever. And when you look at the greatest basketball players ever and to put somebody in that category so early, okay, all of a sudden now he gets to summer league. Now we expect this man to go out there and go score 40. For, we're supposed to expect him to have 2K numbers, 40 points. 20 rebounds, 15 blocks, and that's just not realistic. I think the one thing that um, you know he kind of learned early was that the athleticism over here is a little bit different. Uh, when you're playing against a guy like Kai Jones, who is just a freak athlete, um, you kind of see that at certain times. And that's what he's going to go up against night in, night out. I think offensively, he has to figure out who he is. I mean, I think that we saw his highlights, and his highlights looked amazing because We've never seen anybody his height, his size, do what he does and be able to move the way that he moves. So I think that he has to figure out who he is offensively. And I think that comes from Pop being able to put him in positions to succeed because he's not a big that you throw down low to. He's not really a big that can sit up there and ISO, even though he can dribble a little bit, but he has to figure out who he is. I think where we will see him excel this year is defensively and not necessarily one-on-one -on -one because I think laterally he can get it a little bit better, but being able to alter shots and be able to protect the rim at a high level 
and be able to dominate on the glass just because of his length, I think that he will excel uh, defensively more so than offensively. I think he'll have his times, but I think he'll be better defensively than he will offensively. The problem is, Pelton, that I think that people are going to remember the 30-whatever points he scored in Vegas, and they're going to know that he led the French League in scoring. I think there's going to be an expectation that he does come out and start racking up 2010 games, and that's maybe he will, but I'm trying to I'm try, I'm with King. I'm, I, I want it to be calmed down a little bit. Yeah, I think he's got the potential to do that because, you know, first off, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for him in the San Antonio offense, uh, even though, you know, the defense was probably their bigger shortcoming last season. Uh, there's a reason you were in position to draft Victor number one last season, even though they didn't have the worst record. They had far and away the worst point differential in the league last year. But uh, as we saw on draft night, King already said a lot of the things I was going to say, which is that I think people saw the highlights in particular from those couple of exhibitions against G League Ignite in Nevada back in October, almost a year ago, and kind of thought like, oh, this is what he's doing all the time. And like, there's a reason that him hitting, you know, going into a dribble move and then him hitting a fadeaway jumper from 20 feet, you know, without, you know, he squares briefly to the basket. There's a reason it looks so impressive because it's a really low percentage shot. That can't be kind of the, you know, the the basis of your offense. And I, I think we did see more of him in the post in games against French competition. It'll be interesting to see how San Antonio incorporates that into the offense. But I think, I think he'll probably put up points this season, but not necessarily in a very efficient fashion because yeah. of the fact that he's trying to trying to see what he can do and what are the limits, which there might not be any limits. But you know, the, eventually I think you're going to want to like rein those low percentage shots in, leave them as a weapon in late shot clock situations, but not, you know, a, a really the basis of your offense. So I, I 100% agree. I think he's going to be way more valuable at the defensive end of the court right away. It was interesting. We didn't necessarily see him have as massive the defensive impact in those couple of summer league games as I expected. I think part of that, though, was the other factor was he was out of shape, you know, had not played almost at all since the draft. And I think I'm legally required to describe it as a whirlwind couple of weeks after he got <laughs> yeah. taken. Number one, uh, particularly though, you know, for an international prospect, I don't, I don't know if he went back to France in between, but you've got that travel element layered on top of everything. So it wasn't surprising that there were some ups and downs in those games. I think, you know, he'll probably look better relative to the level of competition. Uh, you know, once you adjust for the level of competition come the NBA regular season. I think the other interesting thing to watch is the San Antonio offense. Trey Jones is a nice setup point guard, but they really don't have many other playmakers behind him. Uh, you know, Devonte Graham comes off the bench, Malachi Branham. They're trying to put the ball in his hands. He was basically playing point or uh, Blake Wesley was playing point guard for them in summer league. So those two, you know, young guys who are really kind of scorers first, it'll be interesting to see how much help the the Spurs can really give him. Well, Jeremy Sochan also can do that a little bit. I, I actually think Sochan's one of the more interesting young players in the league. You would have seen him quite a bit, right? King. Um, yeah. I do question about medium term whether Sochan and Victor fit together because Sochan's not a shooter and mm. Victor hasn't yet demonstrated his three point prowess. I think he has the ability to do that. And that's one of the things that people, he, the way he hit those threes in Vegas back last October was like eye popping. And then he didn't shoot the ball that great in mm. Europe last year. But um, I don't want to lead with the downer on Sochan. I'm actually very high on his skill set. Yeah. Um, but what I think of, here's the thing about Victor. Victor at times will do a bunch of media. He will say, okay, I'm this is a, a media time and I'm going to do media. He understands the importance of developing his brand and things like that. But there are other times when he'll focus on work. And yeah. this is one thing I've learned about him. He He gets the value of being on television, being on the cover of magazines. He will hear pitches from lots of different potential sponsors. And then he'll say no to a lot of them and only pick a couple. He will say no to a lot of media. He, so he did a lot of media around the draft. And then after summer league gone guys went to try to become, right. you know, spend a lot of time in San Antonio, dyed his hair blonde. If you haven't seen him recently, <laughs> I don't know if the story is there. I don't know if that was so Chan who got to him, but his hair is now dyed blonde. So we'll see on media day if he describes the, that process. But I think he's been going to work. And one of my favorite stories from Summer League that mirrored the Victor Wembanyama that I got to know over the previous six months was when he played poorly in that first preseason game. 
he canceled a bunch of stuff because he didn't think he had gotten enough rest because he wanted to maximize that second game. I know it was only two games, but that's the victor that I know who was like, listen, I know there's a lot of hoopla here. I'm going to cut a lot of it out because I'm still trying to focus on my game. That's what I think you'll see. I'm just going to say this. There's going to be a lot of comparisons to LeBron. Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, LeBron was trash in his, his first preseason. He couldn't make a shot. And back at that time, the, the, the Lakers and Clippers used to host this like preseason. I don't think it was a tournament per se, but it was like they would host several teams. They would play a bunch of games over the course of three or four days at Staples Center. And LeBron went and did that. LeBron went and played a couple of games in LA in front of big audiences that were on national TV. TNT put the games on. And he was awful. I think he shot under, under 30% in the preseason. He, his final preseason game, which was in Bakersfield, my one and only trip to Bakersfield in my life. He started playing point guard. He played point guard at the last preseason game and then started at point guard at age 18 in the NBA like 10 days later. So he, I think, led the NBA in turnovers through like January of that year. Then they traded for a point guard. Jeff McGinnis took him off the ball and his production started going much better. Um, he shot under 40% uh, overall over his first, um, like through January of his rookie year. He had some great games. He sniffed a couple of triple doubles. He, his first game in Sacramento, he had like 25, 12 and eight or something. And he came with like an assist of um, a triple double in his second game, which was in Phoenix on the second night of a back to back. Um, so he put up good games, but his overall numbers were awful. And the Cavs started that season somewhere in the neighborhood of like four and 15. They were awful. He was okay. He was putting up highlights but he was not very good. So keep that in mind. I remember that there was a, a national reporter who wrote a story that said that the hype, that the word hype should stand for, hey, you practice enough. Hey, you practice enough, question mark, because they felt like he didn't practice his shot enough uh, because his shot looked like it was raw, which it was. And so just keep in mind that the that the alleged path that he's following in in terms of the most excitement since a player that LeBron didn't come out of the gates burning the the uh, the NBA up he did find comfort when the team made a couple of midseason trades to help get him uh, in a better role so I just want to keep I just want to put that uh, out there with Victor okay Brandon Miller Brandon Miller with the Hornets went number two he had an up and down summer um, with the team you guys remember that over his first couple of games, I think he had 14 fouls or something in his, mm. well, do you remember what that was? He had like, he had more fouls and points in his first couple of, um, of games. Um, he, I know he shot like four, 31% on threes at the Vegas summer league. I think he played five preseason games. Um, uh, but then as it went on, he sort of started to settle in a little bit more. What are you expecting, Pelton, from Brandon Miller coming out of the gates with a Charlotte team that I have been touting as will be a much improved team? I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs, but I think will be one of the league's most improved teams. Yeah, I think they definitely will. You get LaMelo Ball back healthy, Miles Bridges back in the lineup after his suspension. And, you know, he was an important part of their team two years ago after those, you know, horrendous domestic violence charges against him uh, in the summer of 2022. And, you know, this is, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Brandon Miller's minutes because you've got Bridges back in the wing rotation. We'll see how healthy Gordon Hayward is over the course of the season. It wasn't necessarily the Hornets drafting for need. They've got Terry Rozier at the two. Uh, Cody Martin gets healthy again this season, presumably is in that mix. So they don't, I think, have to throw him in the deep end if they don't want to. But at the same time, like this is an important part of their future. And I do feel like, you know, if you're asking Brandon Miller to create a lot of his own offense, like they were during summer league, that's a situation in which he could struggle right away along the line for the, some of the same reasons that we've talked about for Victor. But if you put him in kind of a smaller role, focus on his catch and shoot three-point ability, the occasional play off the dribble when teams close out hard and, you know, let him try to use his size and length that defensively. You know, that's kind of, I think, where people were thinking of him this time a year ago is, you know, more that three and D player with the chance to develop into something more until he had such an awesome freshman season at Alabama and played his way into the conversation, you know, moved ahead of Scoot Henderson and became the number two pick. You know, I, I agree. I think that 
when you look at a guy like Brandon Miller and you really watch him in Alabama, I think offensively he has a lot of talent. So yes, he struggled in summer league, but I'm not necessarily one of those people that are concerned or worried about uh, his offensive struggles because I, I saw it amongst about 32-ish games in college. I mean, the game where um, right after all the allegations came out and everything, that all the craziness that happened in Alabama, you know, to come back and be able to play the way he did. And I think he dropped 40, I want to say, that game or somewhere close to that in the 30, 40 range. Um, to be able to go out there and uh, just to be laser focused in his offensive game. I mean, it's nothing too, too spectacular, but he knows how to get to his spots. He plays with great pace. He can really shoot the ball, uh, which he didn't shoot it well in summer league. But I think that he can shoot the ball well and that will come. Uh, I think it just comes with reps and comfortability. I mean, I'm interested, like Kevin said, to see how they play him and how many minutes he does get. Uh, because I think that will play a huge role into his first year success. Um, but I am 100% confident that he will be very successful in this league. And I think his ceiling is high. I think his offensive game is uh, nothing to worry about, even though he showed, you know, not the greatest uh, display in summer league. But I think defensively is where he's going to have to get better. I mean, he's long. He's athletic. Um, he really struggled at times in summer league uh, defensively to guard somebody. Uh, so I think that that's an area where he has to get better at. That's where he can make his biggest impact his first year, kind of similar to Victor, because he might not get the same amount of shots or looks that Victor's going, going to get. Uh, but defensively, I think that's how he can stay on the court. And then as he stays on the court defensively, offensively, he'll be spectacular because uh, I think he does have that game. He just has to learn how to fit into an NBA system playing with other great players because at Alabama, I mean, honestly, I mean, it was him and Spears and Javon Quinterly a few times, but he was literally asked to do it all. But now he goes to like the third or fourth option maybe on this team. He's going to have to learn how to adjust. He did rebound well. He does have terrific size, 6'8", I believe yeah, is what he size. measured in at. And he rebounded well in summer league. So, um, you know, uh, if you rebound in the, if, if you're looking for easy ways to get, to, to get going in the NBA, if you just do, do some rebounding, it can, it can really help. Um, it can help you stay on the floor, quite frankly. So, um, that was one. And he did, he did, even though he fouled a lot, he did put up some decent assist and block numbers in those games. So, um, it's all very small sample size. He, um, he played two games in Sacramento and three games in Vegas. So, um, but, certainly a guy to watch I, he's going to have the the difference in the hype for him versus the, the for Wembenyama and the guy we're going to talk about now Scoot Henderson he's going to sort of be in that donut hole because there's so much going to be attention on the Blazers because of Lillard and then the expectation of Henderson and then obviously Wembenyama is going to be on national TV right from the start he is in a little bit of an area where his expectations will be a little bit less um if that's one thing i have said I don't know the future. Uh, I don't pretend to to know the project draft players. I would never trust my eye. But one thing I I believe is the decision that the Hornets made picking Miller over Henderson is potentially a pivotal decision for the fran both franchises, Charlotte and, and Portland. One of the big decisions of the last four or five years. It may not play out that way. In my view, though, I think it could come down to that. Because if Scoot Henderson is a stud, it's going to reflect on Charlotte potentially drafting Miller because they didn't want to crowd LaMelo Ball. And if Miller ends up being the type of two-way wing prospect that is a difference-making player on a team that's on the rise, that could make Charlotte, you know, that decision could make Charlotte really elevate as they try to come up as an organization over the next year. So obviously, I think it's a very big thing. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Okay, King, Scoot Henderson didn't play almost at all in the summer. We didn't get to see him a lot last season because he um, had some injuries and also shut it down early with the G League Ignite. We're really basing uh, his play on um, a sliver of, compare, especially comparison to like Brandon Miller or Victor Wembanyama, who played dozens and dozens of games last year. Henderson is a little bit more uh, of a mystery as to where he is relative to his peers. Um, that said... There's a lot of excitement about his game. It's hard to project what he'll be because we don't know if he's going to be playing with Dame or if there's going to be a trade. But coming into the season, what are you looking for from Scoot? Yeah, I'm really uh, interested in this Trailblazers whole organization right now. Uh, I think that when you look at Scoot Henderson, we look at the two guards in front of him, uh, Damian Lillard right now and Amphrey Simons. Um, I think that those two guys are are solidified guys. I mean, no doubt Dame is, but Anthony is too. Anthony is talented. 
So I want to see where are they going to fit Scoot Henderson in? Like, are you going to make Scoot Henderson come off of the ball? Or are you going to let Dame come off the ball? Who is going to play without the ball? Or are you going to put Anthony and, and move him to the two? So I want, and I know you can't play all three of them together because all three are relatively small to be on a court at the same time. So who is going to get those minutes and how many minutes will Scoot get? So I think he's in an interesting position, but I mean, game wise, I think that he also, it looks a little different because I think those two guys in front of him can really shoot the ball. I don't think Scoot Henderson has proven himself as a shooter. I think that athletically, he is phenomenal. He's going to be able to finish with the best of them. He's going to have high-level finishes. Uh, the plays that we will see on the highlight reels, that is him. His mid-range game is pretty decent, but he has not proven himself from the three-point line. And I don't know if that's going to come back and, and really bite him or it's really going to be hard for him because a lot of teams will start going under. Because when you start going under, they're going to force him. They're going to give up the three. I don't know if he's shown that he can knock it down consistently. So I think that he, I mean, if Dame is there, I think he can have a decent year because I think that it'll lessen the expectations. But I think if Dame leaves and now the ball is in Scoot Henderson's hands, I don't think he'll have the level of year that we would project just because his lack of shooting right now, unless he really drastically improves it because he really can't shoot as well as, you know, a Brandon Miller or he doesn't shoot it as well as you would like your point guard to shoot it. I don't think he'll have that great of a year. Yeah, I wrote a story a few years back. This was, you know, during the NBA playoffs, but also leading up to the draft about how basically all the best pick and roll point guards in the league were also terrific at shooting pull up three pointers off the dribble. How important that had become to exactly what King was just talking about. That's certainly what Dame. That's certainly what Dame can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he is along with Steph Curry the, and and James Harden, the poster child for the value of the pull up three in that regard. And you know, I've talked to Dam a lot about this over the years, just kind of the ways that it opens up options for him in terms of if you're playing me a certain way that that determines you know what I'm able to do because of the fact that he can do everything off the pick and roll. And you know, we'll see how long it takes Scoot to get to that point. I think. You know that's going to be crucial to his development. You you go back to those preseason games against Wembanyama's uh, team, Metropolitans '92. Scoot also shot the ball really well in those games, just like Wemby did. And then, as King said, it didn't really translate over to when they started playing. You know, against other G League competition. Uh, he did shoot 47% from three-point range in six games in the Showcase Cup, but then in the regular season, 19 games, 27.5% from three. So that's, you know, you look at the development of someone like De'Aaron Fox in the NBA, who improving mm -hmm. as a shooter helped him become so much more dangerous as someone who also came in with this incredible end-to-end -end athleticism, but needed to, you know, be able to, to make opponents respect him as a shooter a little bit. Is for how the Blazers play this season. I I agree with King that it's fascinating because you know it's not a two timelines on the sense of like a the Warriors who you know are trying to compete for championships and develop these recent lottery picks, but you do have this group of incumbent veterans in Portland because they resigned Jeremy Grant. If Damian Lillard is still there. And I don't think, you know, Chauncey Billups is going to be thinking about developing his younger players. But, you know, you mentioned Lillard and Simons in the backcourt. Shaden Sharp is also in the mix there. They're very high on him. He was terrific late in the season after Dame was A shut very down. very young second-year player. Yeah. And yeah. they put the ball in his, his hands a lot down the stretch. And he showed more than, you know, he had early on. I think one of my big questions was, this is a guy who can score, but does he do anything else? And he started making plays as a distributor when he had the ball in his hands and started reading the court. And, you know, that was really crucial. So you, you've got a lot of pieces to manage in that backcourt in Portland. I, I, I'm, I don't think it all fits. That's why I, I personally am of the opinion that, you know, they should grant Damian Lillard's trade request before we get to training camp and, you know, turn the page and indicate that our future is Scoot Henderson and, and, you know, Damian Lillard at this point is our past, but we're we're coming up less than you know a week and a half from training camp at this point, and there there is no deal, so going to be a lot for Chauncey Billups to manage. Well, the the Blazers are trying; they are making trade calls. What I don't know, and maybe only the Blazers know, in all honesty, are they making trade calls in an attempt to, to create a market to squeeze the Heat, or are they actively willing to trade him to somewhere besides Miami? And I'm sure. If Joe Cronin was having to answer that question, he would say, we're trying to get the best offer. We don't care whether it's Miami or not. But that's one of the things that teams in the league are wondering is, 
when they enter into other trade talks, especially when those trade talks get public, is that a maneuver or is that truly what they're going? And the thing about it is, is that Joe Cronin doesn't have a long history uh, of having done this. Not that you know this has ever been the situation in the history of the Blazers franchise. So, but it's def- It's obviously uh, a thing. And I was talking about this last week on how I want to hear from Scoot Henderson. Not that I expect him to come out and say, slam his fist on the table and say, get Dame out of here. But I'd like to hear how he wants to articulate it about what he's looking at. And my guess is that he will be a rookie and, you know, stand back and just let it play out. But, you know, he could potentially influence this decision by the way he decides to position it. He may not take it. That's that's to be sure. Okay. Um, two other two guys in the top five want to talk about the Thompson twins. The Rockets took Amen Thompson at uh, the fourth pick. Uh, Azor Thompson went five to the Pistons. I think both the Pistons, I'm sorry, did I say that? Yeah, uh, Rockets got a man, Pistons, Azor. Both of both those teams were very happy with the way those guys uh, looked in uh, in summer league. Um, terrific athleticism, both of them, great size. Uh, Pelton, um, maybe just to take a look at both of them here. Obviously, I think Amen is known as the better offensive player, whereas Azor is known as sort of the better defensive player. Um, but I think both of these guys are going to get significant playing times and a significant roles on these two teams. And I got to say, with with uncertainty about what, what Scoot's situation is going to be, it's not unreasonable to think that one of the Thompson twins could end up winning Rookie of the Year because I think their roles are almost guaranteed to be significant. I think Amon's chances, uh, you know, for unfortunate reasons, got a lot better with the arrest of Kevin Porter Jr. on uh, additionally, you know, equally horrific domestic violence charges uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, if you had Fred Van Vliet coming in at point guard and Kevin Porter Jr. still there as the backup, it's a little tough to figure out how Amon finds minutes right away, you know, as someone who is going to be most effective with the ball in his hands, you know, similar to scoot someone who you know is really explosive off the dribble a developing outside shooter he's probably behind scoot in that process although i think he did knock down a three-pointer in the one game that the two of them played head-to-head against each other before they both were injured at the start of summer league on the first night i I think that gives him more of a chance to play still given houston's focus on kind of trying to win now i'd be surprised if it's a big enough role for him to have a chance at rookie of the year but you know, Scoot got the headlines early in that head-to-head matchup, the one game that they played. Ahmed, I thought, ultimately had the better game of the two because of the fact that he was putting his head down and getting all the way to the basket off the dribble. With Scoot, it was a lot of mid-range in-between stuff that he was knocking down there, but not necessarily as high percentage looks as, as Ahmed was getting. And obviously a very small sample, and I, I don't know his game as well as Scoot's because I only watched uh, a little of overtime elite. What I did see you know, along the lines of what you said, it's kind of interesting with these twins. It feels like, you know, they they kind of develop fitting into complementary roles. So Amen was the primary ball handler. Asar would get on the ball when Amen rested and, and they were staggering minutes, but most of the game Asar was kind of doing the role player things. And, you know, I think that's going to maybe make an easier transition for him in, in Detroit in some ways because he's going to be playing a similar role to what he was at overtime elite. Although the challenge, you know, with the Pistons is this was more evident with their summer league team, their real team. Now they had Boyan Bogdanovich and, and Joe Harris they, coming in this season. They've got some shooting. They had so little shooting on their summer league team, trying to play him in, in, in Jaden Ivey and, you know, trying to play both James Wiseman and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, Jalen Duran together on that team, like it, it was a crowd. And then late in summer league, after some of those guys started getting shut down, that's when Asar got the chance to get the ball in his hands and had 35 points over his last two games, 23 rebounds in those two. So right. that's that's that was what I was referring to. Is he looked really good when he got an opportunity? Yeah. So you know how he fits in again on this Detroit team that has a lot of young talent on the perimeter with Cade, with Jalen Ivy. Bogdanovich probably yeah. plays. The you guys three. know how I feel about Cade Cunningham. Uh, I think it's breakout year mm. uh, potential for him, for sure. You know, it's interesting you said that. I was actually with him about, uh, let's say, a month and a half, and we were he just got back and it was first time playing. So we were playing pickup in an open run at Duncanville, and he, he looked good. He, he, he looked really good. He like he's almost back to the old Cade Cunningham. Uh, his pace, his pace has gotten so much better. I mean, I got a chance to talk to him about Asar, and he he said uh, he's excited because of the defensive ability that he brings to the team. 
And I think that him saying that is basically uh, who the Thompson twins are. When you look at both of them, I think they will be extremely successful no matter where they are because of their ability to change the game defensively. With their athleticism, the way they move their feet, they can stay in front of the ball. They have great hands. Despite their offensive woes, offensive flaws, defensive, they can always be on a court. I think over time, you will see them grow on the offensive side. Uh, but Asar kind of plays that role of just come in the game and just get stops. Help us defensively. Because when you look at a Bojan Bogdanovic, you look at a Joe Harris. I mean, even there's times where Cade is, he has potential to be a great defender, but he's not there yet. So defensively, um, that team needs help. And he fits a role where he can actually go in there and help them. Well, he might not give them much shooting the ball. I mean, he might have his games every now and then. He might improve because he's a hard worker. He wants it. Uh, but defensively, he'll be able to fit a need that uh, Detroit has. And I think for our men, I think Kevin hit it on the head. I mean, with with the things that happened to Kevin Porter, now our men has an opportunity. You know, when, when Fred Van Fleet is off the ball, give the ball to our men. He can take some of that pressure off um, because now he becomes that backup, you know, point guard, backup facilitator. And I think that's where he's best at. I mean, offensively, when he's has the ball in his hands, can get downhill, can make decisions. Uh, he's a better playmaker than I think we give him credit for. Uh, but I think that, you know, that's where he's best at. So put him at the backup spot. Uh, I think that you might see him really, really uh, show some flashes of, of greatness um, with that Houston Rockets team. Yeah, and uh, we'll also have to see if Kevin Porter gets traded, Yeah, what he could get traded for. Um, we'll see about that. Um, that's obviously a prickly issue. But that is also a thing. There is a little bit of a up in the air about the way that the Rockets are going to look. Having said that, if Kevin Porter is just released or he's just suspended and sidelined for some period of time, that development, while very unfortunate in many different ways, does clarify some roles for the Rockets a little bit. So not to imply that there's any positive, but I'm just saying that it did. It had the side effects are interesting. There is as much excitement about the top five in this draft. I mean, we heard for months about how important this draft was, and we saw some grade A tanking take place uh, in the, with what you're allowed to do in the modern day that took place for this draft. There's as much excitement about this top five as there's been in, in a long time, and they're going to going to play out. I, uh, I think we'll see a lot of uh, their preseason get some uh, attention on these guys. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. When I discussed what other guys in the draft, I asked the two of you yesterday, what other guy in the draft that you wanted to talk about that maybe wasn't taken top of the first round? You both independently of each other said the same name. And that was Keontae George, who went number 16 to the Utah Jazz from Baylor, just like you, King. Uh, you might have a little insight into that. But, you know, the thing that I remember reading about him is something you wrote, Pelton, which is that between the end of his season at Baylor in March and this summer, he went from 215 pounds to 190. Now, losing 25 pounds is losing 25 pounds. For an NBA player of that size to drop that kind of weight at all is remarkable. You know, I just did a piece uh, while I was at the World Cup on Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who to me looked like he transformed his body. He went, 100%. he we became a pescatarian and ate one meal a day. And he went from like 222 to 208. Okay. And he's, he's bigger than Keontae George, who's 6'4. But Pelton, for a guy to go from 215 to 190 at age 20, not 265 to 240 as a power forward or, or, or you know, a, a big three, not where he's like dropping like heaviness, but to transform your body like that at age 20. That's a, I mean, taking the, if that's that, that as his word, that's a remarkable number. And you wrote and reacted to how he looked like a different player in Vegas, where he put up spectacular numbers, made first team all summer league uh, for the Jazz, as to why you are very interested in seeing him play this year. Yeah, I legit didn't recognize him. He, he looked like a different person in addition to a player when he turned up at summer league. And, you know, obviously he had, been working on this throughout the draft process, but we hadn't seen it publicly at that point. And what it did to his game was transformative because all of a sudden he was blowing by guys off the dribble in Vegas and, you know, just, you know, playing with the ball in his hands primarily, uh, creating a lot for both himself and others. 
And that's a role that's potentially available in Utah. You know, they do have some ball handlers. Jordan Clarkson will, you know, have a lot of ball handling responsibilities, but he's someone who can play off the ball. Taylor Horton Tucker put up big numbers for them down the stretch after Clarkson was sidelined, possibly in pursuit of uh, that kind of draft positioning that Brian was talking about a moment ago. So he's got an opportunity to be in the mix there. But if Keontae George plays the way he did in summer league, the Jazz are going to have to find a way to get him on the court and get the ball in his hands because he's too good not to play. And, you know, to get that at the point in the draft where they did, they they have to be thrilled right now. They got to steal. I mean, Keontae George, when he came into Baylor, I remember his, uh, we had like a vet week. So we went out there to go play with, play against him. And the first thing that I looked at when I looked at his body uh, was like, but well, you're a little chubby. And I told him it's still a space. Like, like you're 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 a little you're a little chubby. Like he he had the, the the body where he he has to lose weight. And I think he played that whole season at Baylor a little bit overweight. And primarily because I think he settled too much for threes and for jumpers. Like Kevin said, he was getting by people in summer league. If you watch his film back, he wasn't doing that in the Big Twelve tournament when they played Iowa State. He couldn't get by anybody. I want to say he took he took thirteen shots and eleven of them were threes. Or maybe maybe 12, 11 to 12 of them were threes. Pretty, pretty much all threes. So you mean to tell me you can't get by anybody? And that was because he wasn't at the weight. He wasn't at the playing shape that he should have been in. But he locked in. I mean, I'm real close with his dad because his dad still uh, plays in open gyms and pickups. His dad can hoop, by the way. His Jason and Jason Sickers can absolutely hoop. He can go get a bucket. If you ask him, he'll beat Keontae one-on-one. He'll he'll say it, and he's so serious. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen so him play, but I'm betting on Keontae. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know what's crazy? I, I actually might take his dad. I might take I think his dad all might right. have a hey, little. Hey, man, listen, I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not talking. <laughs> he's got that dad strength. <laughs> but he's got the dad strength. And his dad has a little bit more dog than Keontae. He's not a better player, but he has a little bit more dog, and he's like a 15-year vet. So I think I'm, I might go with the dad, at least right now. But the biggest thing that, that Keontae did was transform his body. And you can tell. I mean, he, his ability to get by defenders now, he's finishing at the rim. I mean, he's his jump shot is pure. Uh, I heard he went to a workout in uh, for, for some team, and they said he was the best shooter they've ever seen. And it wasn't even close. I mean, he didn't miss. So he'll get in workouts. He, he'll be able to shoot. His stroke is pure. Uh, but I think that him losing the weight saved his career. And now it literally elevated him to a, a level that we haven't really seen. And I think the other part of his game we sleep on is he can really, really pass. I think one thing that we didn't see much at Baylor, but I saw when we play open gyms, we saw him pick up. His vision is there. Coming off of a pick and roll, being able to locate the tag and be able to locate the open man to throw that cross-court skip pass that a lot of guards in college can't throw. He can do that. I'm not saying he can. He's a, he's a true point guard, but I think he is a scorer who can pass. He's not a passer that can score. He's a scorer who can pass. So I think he can play that combo guard. I wouldn't put him in a uh, you know a lot of minutes at the one, but he's capable of being a backup one. Uh, but I think his natural position is a two, just being more of a scorer. But he can facilitate. So I think he's going to have a great season. I think he's going to have a great career. He he's he's that level of talent. I noticed his that Baylor. He shot about thirty six percent or so on threes. I mm-hmm. think. I watched all of his three pointers during summer league. It was the whole the whole array. He was hitting spot up threes. He was hitting threes in transition. He was hitting threes off the dribble. He was hitting step back threes. Uh, he shot what did he shoot Pelton like 43, 44%. I'm not sure if that was a hot week, but first off, he's obviously got a lot of confidence in that shot. He was hunting that shot. Uh, but as you as you said, King, he definitely is a you know he's a he's got he's a combo guard, but he definitely has a point guard mentality in that he does look for guys, but he's not afraid to create his own. And so that was kind of what impressed me because so often you see players who are not comfortable doing all of that stuff. You know, you see guys who are sort of trained to be spot up shooters or guys who frankly just shoot and hunt their shots way too much. I mean, he there would be times when he definitely would say, "All right, I'm going to put up a 26 footer," and he would make them. Uh, but there were other times where he would bait the defense and throw a line drive um, entry pass. It would lead to a dunk. He had several of those. So um, I see why you guys are excited about him. You know, Colin Sexton is also on that Jazz roster, and he obviously had a pretty good year last year. They do have some guys in that backcourt. 
the Jazz's big move the offseason was obviously bringing in John Collins, and they also extended Jordan Clarkson. But there's nothing on this, you know, there's nothing like set in stone on this team. Like if he earns minutes, you know, he'll earn minutes. You know, that's, I think that would be one thing. Sometimes you get picked 16th and you're getting picked into a team that's, um, I think that was the, was that, uh, Pelton, do you know off the top of your head, was that the Minnesota pick that they, um, that they got him with that seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to getting Walker Kessler out of that Gobert deal, this is a player that they, that they got out of, you know, this is what started the, you know, more fruit from that Gobert deal, this pick. Sometimes you get the 16th pick, you come in and you're maybe relegated to a role no matter what. And he will start that way, but there's upward mobility. There's upward minutes to win on this jazz team. So um, that's very interesting. Another guy that you guys mentioned, um, and I remember sitting with you guys on the set on draft night was Cam Whitmore out of Villanova, who went 20th overall to the Houston Rockets. There were mock drafts that had the Rockets taking him as high as four. And he was had one of those draft night drops. There was discussion afterwards about teams noticing a, de- a degenerative knee issue. He he went to the combine and had a physical. In the new rules, there's going to, I think all players have to have physicals that everybody sees. I think that's the rule. Um, but in recent years, some players would only allow physicals with certain teams and then the teams could control or the player could control who gets, who gets the information. In this case, the whole league, all 30 teams had the same physical done by the league. Um, there was also some reports about background that was concerning to some teams. I have no idea what's true. I'm just telling what those reports said. Uh, or maybe, you know, his interview, not that he's a bad guy, but maybe his interview didn't go well, or maybe people that they talked to didn't give him the glowing reviews. I don't think there's anything in his character. Just to be clear, I'm not making an accusation. I'm just saying what was was reported. Um, but long story short, he slipped to 20. And then I'm sure King, highly motivated, he came into Vegas and was awesome. I believe he won MVP yeah. uh, of Summer League. So Houston, probably, I don't know where they had him on their board at the start of the night. Uh, Rafael Stone, the general manager, came out afterwards and said, yeah, we feel comfortable. We were not worried about the physical. I think they just preferred Amen Thompson there, but I don't know where he was on their board, but I'm sure it wasn't 20th. So they had to feel pretty good and they had to feel okay about the way he played in summer. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing that when you look at what Houston did this offseason and when you look at what they did in the draft, I think it's obvious that they want to establish an identity and a culture. And I think that identity and that culture is one of toughness. I mean, you look at Fred Van Fleet, extremely tough. He has that quote-unquote dog mentality. Same thing with Dylan Brooks. As crazy as he is, I mean, the things that he says, the antics he pulls, the dude is tough. Defensively, he's going to compete. and He's going to give you everything that he has on the court. You draft Amen Thompson. Dog fits in with that identity and that culture of playing defense, getting stops. Same thing with Cam Whitmore. This guy right here in college, I mean, he didn't, the sample size wasn't great. And in college, he was solid. But you saw those flashes of him exerting his dominance, his presence when he was out there. I mean, his athleticism, we know that it's there despite the injuries. And defensively, he will really get after you. And he's so versatile. He can really play, a, a honestly, a 2-3-4, maybe. Um, and he's only about 6-5, six, 6-6. Six, six, but... He can be an undersized forward because of his toughness and because of that quote-unquote dog mentality that we love to throw out there for guys. Um, I think that that'll get him over the hump. So now you can plug him in, and he all of a sudden can give you something. Oh, same thing with Jabari Smith, too. I think Jabari Smith is low-key a tough, super tough dog, too. So I love what the Rockets did in establishing a brand, an identity, and a culture this offseason. Let me tell you about uh, Ime Udoka. Ime Udoka. He's not mess around and he's not afraid to to say stuff. (laughs) So like, you know, I, I mean, I'm not sure where his role was in the draft process, but Ime Udoka kind of fits into that as well. A hundred percent. They said, this is who we want to be. This is what we're going to do. And I think they're going to have some, some success. I mean, Jalen green is talented, but I don't know if I would classify him um, in that same category, but offensively, we know he's skilled and he can get to his spots. But I think now with all these guys surrounding you, you have no choice but to fit in or you're going to stick out. Uh, so I love what they did. I think that they have a great young nucleus to be able to grow and to be able to make some noise and be good in this Western Conference. 
I think Houston was well positioned when Cam Whitmore slid because one of the things that you often see come into play is, you know, it's a combination of number one, you haven't necessarily had somebody in for a workout or done as much background as you would because you're expecting that guy to be long gone by the time you pick. And then also, I think there's a natural element like, you know, you you're in a draft room or even in this part of that process, you start to fall in love with your guy as you have these debates over the course of that process. And you've locked in on whoever that is. And all of a sudden, Cam Whitmore hasn't even been part of that conversation at all. And he's out there. I think it's easy to slide. Now, Utah is an interesting team because they're another team that had, you know, they had the ninth pick that was a little on the low end of Whitmore's original range, but probably would have done I think so. Or I don't know if it was ninth, but somewhere in that range, it probably would have done some work. And they passed on him to take Keontae George uh, with their second of their three first round picks. So they did have that opportunity as well. But Houston had already been considering it four, had done all that work. He's sitting there in their laps at 20. The fruit of a, a very quiet move. They swapped first round picks with the Clippers. I forget which pick it was the, you know, they were actually swapping. I think it was uh, Milwaukee's and go up from like 30 or 28 or whatever to, to 20 and are in position to take Cam Whitmore. And one of the things I know about the Rockets over the years is their draft projections must look pretty similar to mine because the guys they tend to draft are guys. Boy, are they smart? Pelton said. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. It doesn't work out 100% of the time. Uh, just to Joe Chi. But you know, I'm not surprised because Cam Whitmore, despite the fact that it was kind of an underwhelming season coming off of an injury at Villanova, he was number three overall in my projections, which didn't include the Thompson twins, but he was ahead of Scoot. It was only Wemby and Brandon Miller were in the consensus version that factors in where they are in Jonathan Gavoni's top 100. So I, I'm sure that they were beyond thrilled that he was still out there. And there is the flip side of the equation. I talked to someone with another front office during summer league who said that their team had been trying to trade in to the first round to get a chance at Whitmore as soon as he started falling because they were so excited about the potential. And we saw a lot of it in summer league, his ability to just, you know, also power his way to the basket with his strength. And, you know, uh, the steal rate is something else that was a big factor in his projections being as good as they were. He averaged two and a half steals in Vegas. I guess that was a big factor. I don't think he was actually the best rookie. I, I think Keontae George was better than him in summer league. He won MVP because he was on the best team. And, you know, Jabari Smith Jr. only played a couple of games as dominant as he was before they shut him down. But certainly he was a, a lot better than the 20th best rookie in summer league. The one thing I'd like to see from him long term, you know, some tunnel vision with Cam Whitmore on the drive. Uh, he averaged 1.8 assists per game in summer league, had more turnovers than assists. That's, I think, going to be the big area of development for him. And then also he didn't get to the free throw line very much during summer league, only 2.7 attempts per game. If you're attacking as much as he is, you got to be turning converting a lot of those into free throws. The guy that I have some interest in also taken in the lottery uh, is Bilal Koulibaly, who is Victor Wemanyama's teammate. Um, the reason I'm interested in him is I got to see him develop during the season. I was when I first went to France in January, he was playing games on the junior team. He would play the junior game and then go play sort of the varsity game. You know, he'd play at three o'clock and then he'd play at seven o'clock. And um, I remember sitting next to Masai Ujiri, who came to a practice with Wembenyama, and Masai was focused on Bilal. So I knew that that you know Bilal was going to potentially be a first round pick. If you'd have told me in January he's going to be the eighth pick in the draft, I would have been a little bit surprised. He's one of those super high, you know, um, of uh, super high, uh, you know, risers. It's hard for me to see what exactly the Wizards are going to be this year because they've replaced their entire backcourt. Tyus Jones is in. Uh, Jordan Poole is in. Obviously, they used a lottery pick on Bilal, who is, you know, he can play three under the right circumstances, um, but is really probably, I think, probably going to be more of a two in the NBA. He doesn't have a lot of bulk, so he'll have trouble against, uh, you know, a big wing. Uh, although maybe later on, I mean, he's he's got super long arms. I think he, I think he projects to be a good defender. Um, but uh, you know, and they obviously invested heavily uh, in Kyle Kuzma. Um, so he's obviously going to get a lot of minutes there. So it's hard for me to see how much Bilal is going to play, but, um, he, uh, has an athletic skill set and a size. I think he's about six, 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 seven, um, and really excelled against men last year. Like, uh, you know, went up the ranks and impressed a lot of people. And so I'm wondering if like 
he jumped up the draft boards because he didn't do a series of workouts. He was playing. He, 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 his team made the finals. The, Victor and his and uh, Victor and, and Bilal were in the finals alongside the NBA finals. So it wasn't one of those stories of a guy like looking great in workouts and flying up the boards. Literally, it was because they were, you know, I think so many scouts maybe went to see Victor play and were like, wait a minute, what about this guy? So um, I'm interested to see what he's able to do. I mean, we'll see if, if Washington keeps those guys together. Um, it's possible they could, you know, make another trade with those guys. So, um, We'll see, although I think they're pretty invested in Bilal, but uh, I don't exactly know what to expect from the Wizards this year. So I'm not sitting here saying you should uh, take Bilal in your fantasy team. You might not play that much, but I am interested in him just because like King, you got a chance to see Keontae George, you know, develop at Baylor. I kind of got a chance to see Bilal develop throughout this last year. So not sure how you have him projected, Pelton, but uh, I'm interested. Pretty low, actually, because of the fact that the late bloomers tend not to come out as well as in the projections. But it reminded me a lot watching him on film of Usman Jang's development the previous year in the NBL as someone who was also a, a French prospect, but uh, uh, went to go play down under. Uh, it's And it's probably not a surprise then that you know the Thunder took traded up to take Jang a year ago. This year, it was Michael Winger and Will Dawkins who came out of that Oklahoma City front office and now are in charge in Washington, who their first big pick that obviously made a lot of trades already leading up to their draft, but their, you know, the first big investment in the draft was Koulibaly. He's that kind of Thunder style prospect of, I, I he, think it's going to take yeah, a while. He's not, but the un, is he's, not, he's not unlike Jalen Williams. James Williams is a little bit more, you know, older, stronger, mm -hmm. not exactly the same player, but same type of attributes as Jalen Williams that, that, that Will Dawkins would have been a part of taking uh, along with uh, Osman Jang the year before with when the Thunder took them back to back in the lottery. And Koulibaly, one of the youngest players in the draft uh, along those lines. So even though he's, you know, I think what's going to be interesting, the transition for him, yes, he was playing against men in, in the French league, but the athleticism on the wing in Europe is probably the biggest difference in between that game and the, the NBA game. So his athleticism was, you know, overwhelming in a way that it won't be going up against NBA competition. That's true. He, uh, he is a, he is a significant athlete and he did show up in that, in that league, but his, his long arms are something that I remember first noticing about him. So we'll see how much he plays for the wizards who I don't think are interested in winning a ton of games, but, but we'll see. King, thank you for stopping by and giving us your insight. I enjoyed it. Welcome to the hoop collective. We're glad to have you. For and sure, Pelton, for sure. As always, thank you so much for your insight. I really appreciate you guys stopping by. I got uh, more knowledgeable today. Hopefully our listeners did as well. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. And I thank these guys a lot because I was half hour late. So I got to go do NBA today. And um, we will talk to you guys later. And King, please welcome back. You'll be back uh, in the rotation with us. Of course. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. We'll talk to you guys later this, uh, I guess, next week.